Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Abandoned is the nothing personal word of the day because today is Friday, May 6th, 2022. Abandoned means when you've been deserted, you've been cut off. It means, hey, see you later. I have a better offer. I'm abandoning you. It sounds worse to be abandoned, right? The president of the Cincinnati Reds told you, don't worry, Cincinnati. We haven't abandoned our commitment to winning. We haven't deserted our commitment to winning. We haven't cut off our commitment to winning. That's what owners say and presidents say. The Reds are 3-22. and Historically bad. Not historically bad. Yes, they are. You know what? No, they're not. Coca, we were going to do a whole thing about how historic it is and how ridiculous it is that the Reds are so bad. Let me tell you. There's teams that start 0-30. We'll see where they are at the end of the year, but they're going to lose a buck 15 for sure. But I wanted to talk about this team and talk about what's going on in the front office of teams that are going well, teams that are not going well. And here we are, May 6th, one month into the season. And now's the time when front offices get together and they do a quick check. So if you picture when you're running a race and let's say you're running a 10-mile race, you're sort of taking stock at about mile two or three. Hey, how do the hammies feel? I had a little problem with my knee. Am I feeling a little something, something? How's the weather? How's my breathing? It's sort of like a check, like a a car check. Yes, we can tie this into F1, Coca, with that going on in Miami. Like 20 20 laps into into the race, you're seeing how, how the car's performing. Is the track slick? So that's what you do. April, you're just watching during the course of a season. You're just thinking about, all right, I hope we get off to a good start. If we do, let's keep it going. If we don't, there's time to turn it around. We're making sure that there's no early season injuries. If so, we're looking at how our minor leaguers are starting their season. We're just doing a lot of watching. Come May, there's a lot of talking. The talking that goes on in May is, all right, where do we realistically think we are compared to where we thought we were going to be? And are we going to add, subtract? Where's the revenue? How are we looking financially? What's going on in our division? What's going on with our strength of schedule? We're talking about different players. We're having meetings with scouts and pro scouts and amateur scouts because the draft's coming up in June. But we're talking about different players on our team that we would move, different players on other teams that we'd like to get, deficiencies in our team, positionally, intellectually, spiritually, physically. Then you get into June, which is action time. That's when we're going to take the plans that we talked about in May and we're going to do them. So we'll get to June in June, which is 
soon enough. But right now we're in May. We're in the talking phase. So Phil Castellini has to go talk to his boss, the owner, who also is his father. His name is Bob Castellini. And he's got to walk in at the end of every game and say, God, do we suck. And then he's got to remind his dad, we planned this. We knew this was coming. Everyone keep calm. And then Bob says to Phil, well, do you think we should get out there and do some PR? No, Bob doesn't really say that because he doesn't actually care about that. But there's people inside the Reds organization who are chit-chatting around saying the water cooler. Can I still say that expression? I think it's too old. They're they're chit-chatting around on AIM and they're saying, hey, you know, do you think the owner realizes that we're the worst team in the league by far and that we really have gone one in 21 in our last 22 games? Like, is anybody paying attention to that? Is there anything we can do about that? That's what employees say. Salespeople are despondent because they're not making any money. Their commissions have gone down. The baseball people are fine. And this is what I wanted just to tell all of you. And I'm so sorry to say it. In 2013, we lost 100 games. I was fine because I left during the season to go film Survivor. But generally, when you're going into a season where you know you're going to have a problem and you lose game after game, you have a different view of what a particular season is going to be. You are not looking long-term at all. You are very, very much in the moment of a game. You are trying to have a good pitching performance. You're trying to have a good at-bat. You are trying to see if you can get a victory, not a series victory, God forbid. Just win a game now and then. Do a maybe a 3-7, and 10-game stretch so you're only losing twice as much as you're winning. You have resigned yourself to the fact that you're going to lose a hundo. The worst is when you're on the cusp of 100 and you're doing the math saying, is there any way to avoid losing 100? The Reds are not having that conversation. The Reds baseball people were realistic about this coming season. They were aware they did not have enough to compete. They don't care what Phil Castellini says. When you're on the baseball side, you don't really care what your owner or president say. You don't really care whether there are 5,000 people in the ballpark. You're far more focused on the field and on your minor league system and on what you're doing with your team. They're not looking at in-game entertainment for mistakes, right? They're watching the game. I used to like to do that. At home games, I would try to spend a couple of innings watching with the baseball people so I didn't have to pay attention to the concession stands or take a look at the crowd. I could just focus on the baseball side of it. It's why I always loved road games, actually. Road games, because I don't have to worry about anything other than watching the game and seeing it develop and talking to the baseball people. And so the Reds baseball people are good. It turns out that the red salespeople and the reds business operations, they had budgeted for exactly what was happening. They had been told that their baseball side was not going to be good enough. So they are focused on whether or not they're performing according to their budget, which was obviously low to begin with in terms of ticket revenue and in terms of overall financial health. They had told their owner prior to the season, here's where we're going to be. So they're watching game by game, getting the P&L of each game. And they're saying, yeah, we're on schedule. We're good. Then you've got the owner who is frustrated. And the way owners deal with losing is they just stop watching. So Bob Castellini is not watching every game. He's not focused on every game because it's too painful. So he's good. Then you've got Phil Castellini, who's trying to make people forget his comments before the season started telling Cincinnati fans that they're not going to go anywhere, telling him he's not worried, telling them, I'm not worried about losing you. What are you going to do? 
explaining that we have not abandoned our commitment to winning. So he's sort of monitoring the PR and realizes and is resigned to the reality that is the 2022 season. So who does that leave? Because I've now gone through the entire Reds organization and everyone's fine. Two parties we haven't discussed until now. Fans and players. So what's going on inside the clubhouse? Despondency. Selfishness. They are doing... I want to tell you right now what they're doing inside a clubhouse. It's so good. They come to the clubhouse about two minutes later than they normally would. Then the next day, it's about three minutes later. They do one fewer rep on the weight training machine. They take it one bit less seriously on the pregame stretch. Spend more time talking. Stay out five minutes later the night before a game. And it's only May. By August, they're rolling in at 4 a.m. They're getting hammered, stoned, anything else, plenty of sex in the champagne room because they know, what are we doing? What are we playing for? Then there's a group of players who are playing for their dinner. A group of players making $700,000 a year, the minimum, who, by the way, as Coca correctly pointed out before we started this show, for all of you people in the media who are complaining that minor league players don't play enough, why don't you write an article saying how amazing it is that all the minor league players in Cincinnati are making seven hundred grand a year? How about that? I don't see that article. All of you people complaining, the Reds, what a disgrace. They're trying to tank for the number one pick. They're so stupid. They only have a 16% chance of getting the number one pick because there's a lottery now. They're totally incompetent. STFU. The Reds are doing exactly as they had planned to do because they had no chance to win. Has it been worse than they anticipated? Of course it has. Does it change anything about what they're going to do now or going forward? Of course it's not. So use your inches somewhere else. And when I am impugning whether or not players care about losing a hundo, that's from experience because I've lost a hundo. They get despondent because they have to be at the park at all and they don't have a chance. They're complaining to their agents, get me out of here. The players who don't have long-term guaranteed contracts are saying, you know what? I got a chance. I can be totally selfish and put up numbers because the agents will call the players and say, listen, you don't have to play for your team anymore. Forget moving runners over. Forget fundamentals. Don't do any of that stuff. You got to get stats. You know, hit home runs. Drive, Drive people in. I mean, this is your moment to get paid. All the people who wanted all these young players called up right now. Have you looked at how they're all doing? Have we followed up on Julio Rodriguez yet? Or Hunter Green? Did you watch Hunter Green last night? It's fun to watch him throw 100 miles an hour against the Brewers, right? It's fun to watch him hit home runs about 200 miles an hour out of the ballpark. Coco, my level of frustration is boiling over because every year all I did was hear from people who had never, and then I get criticized by Bomani. Oh, just because you've run a team, you're going to throw that out there? There's nothing to do with that. I'm just telling you the reality of what it is. 
But all these writers who come out and talk about what a disgrace it is that young players aren't called up fast enough as though they know they're ready and the people who run teams don't know shit about shit. I've had it. You happy that Hunter Green was out there? If that's my top pitching prospect getting shelled, throwing batting practice 98, is that helping my team go forward? All I'm doing is giving him service time and salary and not winning games. But I'm pressured to call up these young guys. Pressured to do it because MLB changed rules in the CBA because older players want younger players up. Really? And this is not me saying, players, just play. No, I want you to be involved in social issues. But when it comes to running a team, let us run our team. Yeah, we're going to lose a hundo from time to time if we don't have a high payroll. Yes, we are. Doesn't mean we don't know what we're doing. I want you to go talk to Nick Crawl right now. Talk to him. He knows more about baseball in one finger than 99% of this country and 100% of the people writing about baseball know in their entire body. But the Reds stink. <sighs> you know, when we uh, do a show, I don't know how many times I have to tell you this, but I'm going to keep telling you. I make mistakes. I did an entire segment yesterday on the Madison Baumgartner ejection, and I had the wrong umpire. It was not Ryan Wills who tossed him. It was not Ryan Wills who stared into his eyes the way someone wants to look at someone who they've only known for weeks. You look at them and say, hmm, hmm. It was Dan Bellino. But the entire segment, go back and listen to yesterday's segment if you don't mind, because we could use like more downloads, more views on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. It's just fun to do. Listen to the segment. And every time I say Ryan Wills, we're going to play an Andy Cohn drinking game. Every time I say Ryan Wills, I want you to take a drink and insert the name Dan Bellino. And then don't drive. I'm sorry about that. It's inexcusable. You know what's also inexcusable? Transition time to lose a game when you're up six runs going into the ninth inning. <laughs> Please tell me you saw the Mets... Phillies game. Please tell me that you want to know what's happening in the clubhouse of both of those teams after you blow a six-run lead and the Mets came back to win 8-7 after being down 7-1. Please tell me that as a Marlins fan, you paid attention to Starling Marte and what he did to lead off that inning and what he did to driving the go-ahead run. Please tell me you're paying attention to Joe Girardi, whose sphincter is so tight you can't shine a flashlight through it. He doesn't like reading when he's on the hot seat. He doesn't like being fired. He can't believe what happened yesterday. What happened yesterday doesn't happen. The last 857 times a Major League Baseball team was down six in the ninth, guess what happened? They lost. The last 25 years the Mets have been down six in the ninth, guess what happened? They lost. The Mets feel as though they're in first place. They've got Steve Cohn twittering about how great it is. He only tweets after wins. I want, to tw I want him to tweet after a loss. Why can't he tweet after a loss and say, God, we stink? Anyway, so the Mets are in first place in a terrible NL East. The Braves are my most disappointing team of the year so far. And it's sort of early, but not totally early, but semi-early. 
But the Mets are off to a good start. And then what you hope when you're off to a good start is that you have this magic that you just, this, this sprinkled fairy dust that you can hold on to. And then you look for confirmation that this could be your year. Or on the downside, you look for signs. We do that when we're watching thousands of baseball games. You look for signs. Like you can tell when momentum is changing. You can watch a game and say, we're going to lose this game if we don't pile on. Or if we score early on the road and then don't add on, we know we're going to lose. There are all sorts of different things that you know, different trends that you see. So the Mets are saying to themselves, we got something going here. I can't exactly figure out what it was, what it is. Maybe it's Showalter. I like that when you bring in a new manager, a new GM, or a new owner, or a new player. You get to say, oh, that's the reason why we're having a different type of season. Of course, there's 162 games. But you go into the ninth, and the mentality when you're down 7-1 is the following. When you are a team that is a losing team, and you're down six in the ninth, you are losing that game. It's not even a question. When you are a winning team who feels like you've got a chance for greatness, you go into an inning down 7-1 saying, hey, well, let's try it. Let's have competitive at-bats and just see what happens. Two outs, one man on. All right, let's get him tomorrow. First man gets on. Maybe one out, another man, a hit, a double, a flare, a home run. You're down four, and you're saying, wow, this is really good. You're a bad team. You say, we came back. We scored a couple runs. We're only going to lose 7-3. I'm very proud. We get to go to the clubhouse and say, hey, we've got fight. That's what we get to say to the media. So we've got our talking points. A winning team gets to 7-3 to and says, well, wait a minute. We've come this far. Let's go full Sly Fox. Let's go all the way. Why not? And then conversely, when you're a team like the Phillies, who struggled to start the year, you know your bullpen stinks. You know that your manager's on the hot seat. You go into the inning up 7-1, and you're taking a breath. We're good. We're going to get an important win. This was a very good win. Nola pitched seven strong innings. Let this be the start. When you're a you think you're a good team and you are about to get a win, you're saying to yourself, all right, we're going to bang out 8 out of 10. We're going to get to 500. Then we're going to roll from there. It is amazing what we say to ourselves while running a team. Then all of a sudden, you got a situation, a couple men on, a couple men in, and then you realize, no, this, this, no way, no way. We're watching from the box and we're looking down. We're not blowing this. There's, there's no way we're blowing this. Let's go to the pen. Joe, you got to go to the pen right now. Joe goes to the pen. No. Oh, unbelievable. So they lose the game 8-7. Here's what I do after that. I go to the clubhouse and I do a lap. I do a lap around the main part of the clubhouse to let them know that I'm not going to just come into the clubhouse when the team wins. I'm also going to come in when the team loses, and especially when the team loses in a crisis situation. I do a lap in the main part of the clubhouse. Don't say a word to anyone. Eye contact with a few of the veteran players, always from the waist up. Keep going, keep going. Go into the manager's office. Look at the manager. See you tomorrow. That's it. That is all I do. But then I get on the phone, and I'm talking to the GM. I'm going to call Dave Dombrowski. I'm going to say, hey, Dave, How long are we sticking with Joe? Because I think we have a problem here. 
and Dave will say, we got to give him some more time. Like, we can't have this sort of disruption. This is just one of those things in baseball. These are the type of games that happen once in a long, long while. The Mets hadn't done it in 25 freaking years. This is just one of those things. You got to forget about it. Come back tomorrow. But Dave, we're getting into May here. We have a $240 million payroll. I got to call the owner right now who literally is getting mouth to mouth from someone he's not married to with the defibs, and he's pissed. I'll call him, Dave says. No, no, I got it. I'm the team president. Let me, I'll, I'll take this one for you. Call up the owner and say, hey, John, you know, that was tough. And you always downplay it when you call the owner after a crisis like this. You say, listen, that's it. It just happened, right? The guys are good. I was in the clubhouse. The guys are good. They forgot about it. They're ready to go get them tomorrow. We're just going to forget about it. This is a good team. Let's not give up on this team. Then the owner says to you, really? We're not giving up on this team? You don't want me firing Girardi? Well, John, when you hired Girardi, you said it was the most important free agent signing. You felt like you had just signed like the greatest player ever. That's how important you thought he was as a managerial hire. Are we just going to change courses that quickly? These are the back and forth arguments that every executive has in his head, that every executive has with the owner, that every GM has with the president, and then that they have with the manager. The Mets are going to ride this now. They're going to ride it, and the Phillies may have a problem. So if you're a Philly fan, I guess my suggestion to you would be the following. I would sort of wrap your arms around the fact that Joe Girardi is going to get fired. Joe Girardi is the type of guy, you may, you may think about this, or you may know this from Joe Girardi, and I can tell you from experience. That's why I can tell you. When things are going well, he's tense. When things are going badly, he's beyond, right? It, it, it's so firmed up and like that. I don't know if I can do that when you're not watching or listening. It's I'm, I'm, my... my arms are clutched like I'm on Survivor in the middle of a rainstorm overnight freezing with pruned fingers. And do you know what happens when, do you remember when we talk about when you're on an airplane and there's turbulence and the flight attendants are running back and forth up and down the aisle, ripping their clothes off, screaming, saying, oh my God, we're going to die. And then you say to yourself, ooh, we may have a small problem here. Or when there's terrible turbulence, the plane's going up and down like you're on a roller coaster and the flight attendant is on her phone or his phone and playing what, what is it called? Oh, whatever the game it's called. I can't think of a game. Call of Duty. I don't know if you can play that. For, cherry Crush? Is that a game, Coca? Hot Cherry Crush or Candy candy Corn? Who cares? Whatever it is. If, someone's, if they're doing that, then you're saying everything's okay. But players look to their managers the way passengers look to their flight attendants. And after a game like that, Joe Girardi has steam coming out of his nostrils, right? Singeing his nose hairs. And that doesn't make players play better. All right. When we come back, we're going to review a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal directed by Michael Bay. And you're going to say thank you, David. And then we're going to talk about what's going on in Miami because there's some stuff going on in Miami this weekend. Oh, yes, there is. And some of it may even be in Miami Gardens. We'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's Friday. I'm David Sampson. Matt Koch and I bring you a show every day. We thank you for rating reviewing, following us on Twitter at David P. Sampson. We're doing, Coca's doing TikTok videos. We're doing Instagram, Apple, YouTube. It's ridiculous, right? Like just wherever you could possibly hear my voice or see my face, just subscribe and follow because then people who write checks say, wow, you guys are pretty good at that. So I still watch a movie every day. I don't know. I'm going to stop saying still. A movie called Ambulance came out with Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by Michael Bay. Michael Bay, the guy who did Bad Boys, he's sort of an action director. Here's the concept of Ambulance. And I am $19.99 poorer for telling you this review. It's a bank robbery that's supposed to remind you of the De Niro Pacino heat bank robbery, which is one of the great bank robberies on screen, but this bank robbery doesn't even come close to that. So there's a bank robbery, and then, of course, it doesn't go smoothly because that would then be nominated for live-action short. So there's a complication, and then, before you know it, Jake Gyllenhaal is in an ambulance with a shot cop, a... ER tech or an ambulance tech and his brother. They then go on a car chase that would make OJ Simpson jealous. And during this car chase, it looks like Hannibal and Mr. T and Faceman and Murdoch. There's cars going up on those one wheeled ramps and then falling over and exploding there are paint pellets going off and shots fired and it's so absurd and ridiculous and then of course you've got a little keanu reeves sandra bullock thing going because they never want to slow down the ambulance but then they do slow it down when they're doing surgery on the cop let me just sum up this movie for you I would rather have been inside an 
actual ambulance having had appendicitis-like pain in my belly than having spent the two hours I spent watching ambulance. You're welcome. So this weekend, if you're looking for something to do at 3.30 Sunday, don't watch ambulance, but do tune. Sorry, CBS. I really am sorry. Just don't listen to this. Coca, maybe you can just quickly gloss over this. Turn ABC <laughs> because there's something going to Miami. Play me some music, Coca. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's from the movie called Half-Baked. There's something going on Sunday. Now, I have a confession to make. I have watched Drive to Survive. I have reviewed Netflix's Drive to Survive, which is about F1, and it's character-based, and it's amazing, even if it's 75% not true. Although they can't change the results of the race, but they can focus on different parts of the grid, etc. I am one of the gazillion people who did not name and was not able to name one person in F1. Now I can tell you the entire list of 20 drivers. So I am absolutely ordinary in that regard. However, I'm all in. At 3.30 Sunday, it will be the latest race in F1, this weekend's race, and it's in Miami. And if you have a chance to be baked while you watch the race, I think that is not necessary, but it can never hurt as you head into the Sunday scaries. So So You Want to Talk to Samson is from the movie Half-Baked. And someone asked me a question about a topic that I was going to cover today anyway, so you made the show. It's Miami F1 week. Hey, David. Hey, I'm aware of that. It appears that Formula One is heavily invested in growing their sport in the U.S. NSS. By next year, there will be more F1 races in the U.S. than any other country. NSS. The Netflix show Drive to Survive has really helped gain audiences. NSS. We'd love to hear some information on the economics of the F1 Miami Grand Prix and the future of F1 in the U.S. I like the last two questions. The first Comments are quite obvious. So here's what Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, is doing. He's trying to make it so when you think about him, you don't think about him as the failed owner of the Dolphins. He's trying to think of himself as the father of the most amazing site in Miami. You can watch tennis. You can watch the circus. You can watch football. You can watch Formula One. All of these crazy things going on where the Florida Marlins won a World Series in 2003, where I went to work every day from 2002 to 2012 in a stadium called Joe Robbie Stadium, Pro Player Stadium, Land Shark Stadium, Dolphin Stadium, Dolphin Stadium, Sun Life Stadium, and now it's called Hard Rock Stadium. I probably missed a couple along the way. Stephen Ross got money from the NFL. He got money from got public subsidies, and he basically almost built a new stadium. He renovated the entire place, but his goal was far different. He wants Miami Gardens to be the destination for all world-class events because he realizes Miami is an event-driven city. Event-driven, 
not sports-driven, event-driven. Miami is the place where you can activate like no other city in the country. The parties surrounding F1, the hotel occupancy rate and the average price for that hotel room, it's Super Bowl-like, greater than the Super Bowl. Why? Because you've got people who are flying in from around the world, not around the country. You've got people who are in Miami, but for F1. So it's not Marlins, it's not Heat, it's not Dolphins, it's not Inter-Miami, it's not Panthers. It's not even Super Bowl. It's not the tennis tournament. This is a different thing. The only sport that can even compare to F1 would be World Cup soccer. Because when you've got exhibition matches, that's exciting. They had one of those. A couple years ago, they would make their field a soccer field or a football field. Well, when I say football in America, I mean whatever. You know what I'm saying. And they would bring in teams. I think they brought in Barcelona. It's exciting. People go. But it's whatever. You bring in F1 in a race that counts, you're not only getting people all around from the U.S., but you're getting people internationally. And when that happens, there's direct economic impact to the place that they're going. Much more so than I can argue for putting a ballpark in a location. A unique event has those measurable economic impacts because I can actually get statistics of how many people are in hotels on this weekend last year, how many people are in hotels on this weekend this year, and what the average room rate is last year versus this year. Then I can get statistics at the airport for the number of people who pass through customs this weekend versus this weekend last year, the same weekend, or last weekend this year when there wasn't this event. So all of these different, I can get restaurant per caps. I can measure this and I can tell local politicians, not the people really who are part of uh, Miami Gardens because they're furious because if everyone around the world assumes that the Grand Prix is happening in South Beach, if you watch TV, you will assume the Grand Prix is happening in South Beach. For those who don't live in Miami, The Miami Grand Prix is happening in Miami Gardens close to the Broward border, and it's happening in the middle of swamps, basically. I mean, it's not the Everglades, but it's certainly not Miami Beach. So Miami, which has all these other events that you've heard of, right? They have Ultra, which is where everyone does Molly and just sings to electric music or other sorts of music and parties. And everyone downtown Miami who lives there leaves for the weekend. They've got Art Basel, which is a bunch of rich people who are going in and trying to sell art and go to parties. Anything that involves crazy parties where you can put red velvet rope and pretend that everybody wants to be there, but only the beautiful, special, famous people can be there. F1 is that exact demographic. Do you know what the average price is? The average price of entry to get into F1? Try going to Sunday's race. You can get a GA ticket for half a G, $500. It's not like a baseball game where you can get in for $1.50 or even a heat game. You can get in for 20 bucks if you pay attention. There is no chance to watch this live if you are a Miamian. If you're from Miami Gardens, you know how many people from Miami Gardens will be at the Grand Prix? Zero. Zero. Does that mean there shouldn't be Grand Prix or shouldn't be these events in Miami? 
You will never get one politician, not one, to say they are not happy the Grand Prix is not here. You will not get one politician to say that they would not allocate tax money from its citizens to attract events like this because they look at the worldwide impressions that Miami's getting and they understand that if you can host an event like the Grand Prix, you are making yourself a more attractive home base for companies, for people. You're increasing property values. You're therefore increasing your tax roll. Everything that's going on happens because of events like this. And then people question whether or not they're worth it. There could be a billion dollar benefit for this Grand Prix. And guess what? It's not the only one in Miami. They'll be back next year. And prices will be even higher. Why? Netflix renewed Drive to Survive for two more years. If I am hosting a Grand Prix event, I know I've got at least two years before anyone loses interest. The number of Grand Prix events in the US, as you know, there's a new one in Vegas, one in Miami. All of these are happening in addition to in the Circuit of Americas in Austin. Why are they doing that? You know the answer. I don't have to say it. The answer is they're going to keep starting Grand Prix races in the U.S. because cities are going to be falling all over each other to put down temporary tracks with duct tape, figure out a way to make it attractive, come up with the money, because guess what? When you watch Drive to Survive, what's the one thing you keep hearing? Man, I wish we had as much money as Mercedes, much money as Red Bull. I wish we had Ginger Spice coming to the game. The money that Drive to Survive gets, that F, that Netflix gives to F1, the n- amount of money that F1 generates, that trickles down to the teams and the drivers, which then eventually gets to the mechanics, gets to the people who build the engines. There's so much money flowing into it right now. The cars are going to keep getting better and better and faster and faster. They are rolling in dough. So if you're going to watch anything this weekend, make sure you watch the Miami Gardens Grand Prix. And trust me, it's going to be a great race. Actually, Max Verstappen, he, you know, I missed Coca. I, I got a call from my daughter yesterday. Total detour here. She called me and said, are you still the president of the Marlins? And I said, no, it's been about five years. And she said, ha, 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 I knew that, Dad. But I never really liked that you were president of the Marlins. It kept you from home. It made you an absent parent. It made you choose work all the time instead of us. And I didn't want to go into the fact that I went to every dance recital. However, I didn't want to go into that because then I'd be accused of falling asleep during every dance recital when I wasn't on my phone. All possibly true. First of all, detour to the detour. Have you ever gone to one of your kids' dance recitals where it's eight hours and your kid dances for two minutes of the eight hours, twice, four hours in between? I mean, come on. What do you expect me to do? I'm going to try to work in a nap. Anyway, so she called and said, hey, are you the uh, president? No, I'm not. Well, I'm jealous. I really wish you were because Max Verstappen and all the other drivers, they're activating all over Miami. They're going to they're going to games. They went to Heat games. They're going to Marlins games. And if I were still there, I would have totally abused my position. I would have had a signed helmet, a signed jersey. I would have given them a signed jersey, made a Marlins for stopping jersey. They threw out the first pitch. I would have made sure that they signed a bunch of balls. And I would have been able to have in my office, have a cocktail. He's probably my size, right? These drivers have to be small. 
Jorge Cantu would have loved him. They're probably the size of jockeys. I know you're listening, Jorge. I know you are because we talk about that fact. So I missed it yesterday. I have to admit, this week is the first time in a very long time I miss not being in charge of the Marlins. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. 57 and 43 we are. I told you the Padres would beat the Marlins. They flew all the way across the country after getting swept by the Diamondbacks in the stare-down game with the umpire's name, who I got wrong. Yes, wrong. Dan Bellino. Just getting it right one more time. Manny Machado hit two home runs. We're 57 and 43. All right, we got three picks. We're starting on Sunday Grand Prix. Of course, Verstappen is my pick. Max Verstappen wins the Miami Grand Prix. And that's a tough one to do for my nothing personal pick of the day. Because what if he has engine trouble? What if he crashes? Then we're screwed. What about tonight? Big game. Dallas Mavericks are trying to win one game. They're back in Dallas. The coach did something interesting. Jason Kidd did a, uh, a, a press availability after his team lost the first two games to Phoenix. And he actually called out his own players saying, we've got to get Luka Doncic more help. He can't be the only one who's scoring. And I looked at the box score, and Luka's averaging, let's say, 30 points a game. The Mavericks are scoring 100 points a game, so I'm not exactly sure what he means, right? Somebody's scoring the other 65 or 70 points. And anyway, he called out his team. The Mavs are not favorites at home against the Suns. I have them as even in this game three. And Phoenix really is a good team on the road. But the Mavericks are going to cut the deficit to two to one. Mavericks even over the Suns. Tomorrow night... My Milwaukee Bucks are back in Milwaukee at five serve forum. Fear the deer. They're only giving a field goal to the Celtics. Is that possible? If it is still possible, give the field goal. Bucks minus three over Celtics. So that's Mavs over the Suns, even. Bucks three over the Celtics. And then Verstappen wins the Miami Grand Prix. Okay. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. We're going to revisit it. Either way, we keep track. About three days ago, I gave you a wait to see that Shohei Otani would not pitch against the Red Sox. He had a groin situation. I mean, who of us doesn't have a groin situation? And, well, maybe 50% of us have a groin situation. I guess... It could be 100%. Anyway, I digress. I'm so distracted, I can't even keep my thoughts straight. Everybody's working for the weekend. We have six minutes left. Stay with me, because I got to get through this. On May 3rd, I said Shohei Otani will not pitch for the Red Sox. Against the Red Sox. Coca, stop. 4-6-9. On May 3rd, we had to wait to see that Shohei Otani will not pitch against the Red Sox. Yesterday, Shohei Otani pitched against the Red Sox. That wait to see was wrong. We're revisiting it. And not only did Otani pitch against the Red Sox, he shoved it up their keisters. He was throwing his off-speed stuff that was so good, it reminded me of what he could be if he only would pitch. The Angels are off to a good start. They're in first place in the AL West. The Red Sox are behind the Orioles in the AL East. The Red Sox can't hit. They have a terrible approach. Otani was great. My wait to see today is about the PGA. How's that for a topic that you don't hear me talk about a lot? But I was fascinated with Sergio Garcia yesterday. Sergio Garcia is a golfer. He wins, he wins some tournaments. He's probably made like $50 million on the circuit. 
good player. So when you're in a golf tournament and you hit a shot, there are a bunch of people on the course and they're asking for autographs and they're fans and they're cheering. But then there are other people in funny uniforms who are the rules people. They're interpreting when you can move your balls, when you can hit your balls, when you can stroke your balls, when you lose a stroke, get a stroke, add a stroke. You like to be stroked. Why don't we just all just stroke each other? Sergio Garcia lost his balls in the water, which can be good in the womb, I guess. So he goes, finds it, and then he walks across the river, through the river, over the river, under the river, doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden, he gets a penalty because he took too long to find his ball. Because if you lose your balls, some people, especially if you're Jewish and you're married, you can spend like 50 years looking for your balls. Apparently in the PGA, you can only spend three minutes looking for them. Who can find balls in three minutes? What can get done in three? Oh, I, well, plenty can get done in three minutes, like an egg. So Sergio Garcia muttered under his breath, I can't wait to get out of here. Did he mean like out of the hole? I mean, most people want to get in, right? I want to get the ball in the hole, not out of the hole. He meant the whole damn PGA. Which brings us back to the LIV Golf Invitational Series brought to you by the people who rape and pillage women and kill journalists. And Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson. There's a lot of money being handed out to these players who want to play these Saudi back tournaments. They start in June. Did you know that? Sergio Garcia is rumored to be one of the players who is seeking a release from the PGA. They need to get a release. The release is to be allowed to play in this series and not give up the ability to again play in PGA tournaments. If you cannot play PGA tournaments, that means you will never wear the green jacket, the pink jacket, the white jacket, any jacket. That means you won't win the US Open. You'll never again birdie the 18th on the old course. Wait, is the British Open part of the PGA Tour, Coca? Or is the PGA Tour just US? It's gotta be international too, isn't it? I would assume the British Open has to be. The US Open? For sure, the Masters, it's the, it's the majors. That's the PGA majors. Anyway, get back to me later. So the reason why these players are seeking these releases, and Phil Mickelson is, is seeking one, I think Maxwell, Garcia, the reason they are seeking the releases is they don't want to give up eligibility, but they want to take the money. And what they're basically doing is saying to the PGA, we want you to understand there's competition. We want you to let the players, even in some cases, some of them want to unionize, but we want more, wait for it, wait for it, money. Phil Mickelson has 40 million reasons to get more money. You saw that. But all these players are trying to maximize their earnings. I totally get it. And I'm absolutely in favor of it. But is there a chance that you're not going to root for a team because it's invested or bought into by Saudi Arabia? Are you aware who owns EPL, some of the EPL teams, the ones not owned by Americans? Just curious. Are you aware some of the sponsors of some of your favorite players? Remember what we talked about separating art from the artist, figuring out your moral code? What is the line that you will draw in the sand? Wait a minute, I could go play a golf tournament, make $5 million, but the money's coming from the Saudi prince? Mm, nah, I'm not going to go play. Come on, who's actually saying that? I mean, let's just, we, we spent half the show talking about F1. Do you know where they do races that I watch? 
Forget Russia. How about Saudi Arabia? So we all choose what's best for us. We all want to pretend that we don't, but we do. If we get pleasure watching F1, we get pleasure watching golf, we get pleasure playing golf, we get money to play golf, we are going to look the other way faster than you can say release. I'll give you a way to see. The PGA will grant these releases to these players who want to play in the LIV Golf Invitational Series because their view will be that they're going to get enough bad press for doing it, but they don't want to close the door to their involvement in future PGA tournaments. PGA will grant releases to Sergio Garcia, but Sergio Garcia will still play PGA Tour events. Why? Because it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.